A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day, explained and analysed by The Times of London. Today with Stuart Willey and Bhavani Vadi. Israel is mourning the deaths of 21 soldiers in a Gaza blast. We'll find out whether the worst day for the country since the start of the conflict will change the course of the war. Israel's Prime Minister has described it as one of the hardest days of the war. The country's military felt its worst single loss of life of the conflict as 21 soldiers were killed in a building collapse in Gaza. It comes as fighting rages further south. The Hamas-run health ministry says 195 Palestinians have been killed in the past day. With us on The World in 10 from Tel Aviv is correspondent Richard Spencer. Richard, talk us through what's been going on. What happened was it was a, it was a fairly intense day's fighting in Khan Yunis, which is very much a Hamas stronghold. Uh, they lost three uh, IDF, uh, Israeli Defence Force officers, earlier in the day uh, in incidents there, in fighting there. And then last night there was a uh, an unconnected uh, but very serious incident, uh, which uh, the IODF is now investigating. It was very, something went seriously wrong. Um, what happened was that they are uh, they are clearing a strip about a kilometre wide from the border with Israel. Uh, which they say is going to be a buffer zone. They're basically saying that, you know, whatever happens in the future of Gaza, they are not going to allow Palestinians to live or operate within a kilometre of that border fence that they crossed on October the 7th. And they had rigged two houses up to, to explode them, to blow them up. The operation was being obviously protected by by tanks. One of the tanks was ambushed. Uh, there, there seems to be an RPG attack. And then somehow in the aftermath... The explosives that were rigged to go up in these houses went off early and brought the whole area crashing down with 21 soldiers still there who were killed. Obviously, it prompted a lot of mourning uh, on the Israeli side and uh, celebrations on the Hamas side. So we've seen the funerals of some of those 21 dead soldiers. This would seem to ratchet up the pressure on Benjamin Netanyahu. We've also seen families of the hostages protesting and pressure from international allies over the the idea of a two-state solution. Well, what's Netanyahu's next move? There is this voluble group of family members of the the hostages who are still in Hamas captivity who want a ceasefire so that they can get their loved ones uh, returned in a hostage exchange. Family members invaded a, a Knesset hearing, a, a hearing of the um, committee of the Israeli parliament yesterday and started shouting slogans. 
And there is also, of course, the international pressure on, on Netanyahu, uh, because mainly because of the loss of Palestinian lives and the, the severity of the conflict and the way it seems to be spreading. On this particular issue of the, the, the losses today, uh, I don't think that's going to change Netanyahu's calculations. You know, Israel does face some bigger choices. You know, the longer this war goes on, uh, the more Israel's standing is damaged, including amongst its allies, because of the, the horrors that are undoubtedly being inflicted uh, on Gaza. Richard, thank you very much for joining us. Elsewhere in the Middle East, the resolve of Britain and the US in sending a message to the Houthi militants in Yemen remains strong. For the second time, they've joined forces to launch airstrikes against Houthi targets. It's after the Iranian-backed rebels continued their attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea. Today, the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak told Parliament he's not ruling out even more strikes. If necessary, the United Kingdom will not hesitate to respond again in self-defence. We cannot stand by and allow these attacks to go unchallenged. Inaction is also a choice. Last night's strikes hit eight targets, including in the capital Sana, and we saw people taking to social media describing just how frightened they were. The previous joint operation on the 11th of January struck more than 60 targets in 28 locations inside Yemen. The Houthis are trying to put pressure on Israel to stop its operation in Gaza by targeting ships linked to Israel and the West. But if the last round of airstrikes didn't deter them, will these latest ones? Here's Samir al-Altrush, the Times Middle East correspondent, giving his insights on Times Radio. President uh, Joe Biden has quite candidly admitted that the strikes aren't working and they'll continue doing them anyway. So, you know, this has been a windfall for the Houthis in terms of regional status, popularity, in terms of uh, ability to recruit in Yemen. It's made them very relevant. It's made them into a global player. People who had not heard of the Houthis, and I suspect many, many people had not heard of the Houthis until last month, now certainly have heard of them. So uh, this is all that they have to gain from this, uh, and they're unlikely to just stop it because of some airstrikes. I mean, yes, the airstrikes will make it more difficult for them to operate, but Yemen is is a pretty large area. It's mountainous. Uh, The Houthis are quite adept at hiding their armaments. They're quite adept at evading airstrikes. They seem to have uh, a large supply of missiles and drones that they've amassed with Iranian help. Uh, So, it's a waiting game uh, at this point. It's just something to be done for the sake of doing it, I think, on the principle of it. That's, I think that's the approach that the U.S. and Britain have taken. And just to note, this is the eighth airstrike by the U.S. against Houthi targets in Yemen. Last week, the Biden administration returned the Houthis to its list of designated global terrorist groups and imposed new financial sanctions on the group. Early this morning, the first voters in the New Hampshire primaries made their choices. For Democrat voters, there was a missing name, though. An internal party dispute meant President Joe Biden doesn't appear on the ballot, but voters can still write his name in. But the big race is between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, as we heard from The Times' US editor, Katie Davies. Nikki Haley's always done this fine uh, line between going out and attacking Trump and, and kind of presenting herself as the alternative to Trump and, and and she's never quite wanted to go there. But yeah, she did come out. She, you know, this weekend we've seen a little bit more from her than ever before. She talks about how Trump is followed by chaos. She very carefully 
raised this question of mental fitness and, and, and you know, obviously making the point that he is some, some years senior to her. New Hampshire is a funny state. It's the state that Nikki Haley has the best chance in. But, but that being considered, if she can't break down that lead into single digits, you do have to kind of question the path forward. And even as the votes are being cast, Donald Trump's potential running mates are already jostling for position. With the Times digital subscription, find out who the likely and unlikely candidates are. Time now for a bit of glitz and glamour as we head to Hollywood to see who's in the running to win one of those little golden statues. Yes, the Oscar nominations have been announced and perhaps as expected, the epic Oppenheimer film about the creator of the atomic bomb leads the pack with 13 nominations. That's only just behind the record, which is 14 nominations. But surprisingly, Barbie, the other big blockbuster of this summer, appears to have been snubbed. Both the lead actress Margot Robbie and director Greta Gerwig missed out on nominations in their categories. And unlike the feminist message of the film, there is still a lack of female directors in the industry. As Kevin Maher, the Times' chief film critic, told us. I think there's very few surprises. The, the, the you know, Oppenheimer's huge, 13 awards... Uh, poor, poor things, Barbie, yada yada, as you know, I like to say. But the big surprise, I suppose, in, in that category is nothing for Greta Gerwig uh, for directing Barbie. It's the most contentious category, best director, because it's just it's a total sausage party every year. It's men, men, men. Greta Gerwig directing Barbie is not the best female directing job of the year, and that was Celine Song for Past Lives, and she wasn't nominated. So I think there's a there's a double crime there. But you know, but, yeah, for what Barbie did this year in terms of you know how it sort of turned around cinema. I think she should have got, uh, should have had something. Yeah. In terms of stats, okay, out of the top 100 films that were released last year, 12 were directed by women. So you are you are fighting some sort of representational battle here. It's a huge industry issue about why aren't women directing movies? And every year when it comes to the best director category, everybody goes cringy because it's so embarrassing that they're scrabbling around. <laughs> The stadium that's home to NFL side, the Dallas Cowboys, is the largest in the league. It's hosted a Super Bowl, monster truck racing and even a Taylor Swift concert. But it could be about to host another massive event. This 100,000 capacity arena in Texas could be home to football's World Cup final in 2026. And with a retractable roof, it would be the first time the biggest game in soccer has been played indoors. Now, while NFL games are played on artificial turf, real grass would need to be brought in for soccer, which could raise questions about player safety and the state of the pitch. There's plenty of time before the tournament to sort that out. It'll be played across Canada, Mexico and the United States. And we'll know the match schedule and get confirmation just where the final will be held on February the 4th. And that's all we have time for. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow. 